General Station. feeling. It's as though the hounds of hell were nipping at your hocks constantly. It's as though you were slowly being nibbled to death by a bathtub full of old clams, each one of them intent upon a destiny of his own. I'm coming along today, and I arrive at my shoeshine man's stand. You know, there's, n- there's not a man alive here in Manhattan who doesn't have a million little things in his mind that are the lore of his existence a place where he believes he gets the best haircut, a place where he believes that he gets the best martini, a place where he believes that he gets the best shoe shine. All these little things are tucked away and are never discussed. I rarely ever hear a guy discuss with another guy about, like, say, where you get the best haircut or, or the best shoe shine or where you can get a good cigar. This, these are things which are just the lore of existing in a city, the great pathways. If you could imagine your life as a as a kind of... Have you ever seen these dotted line puzzles where it says, join the dotted lines, join the numbers? And it says 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Like the time about 4,000 years ago, I'm this kid and I get this boys' magazine. And on the back it said, uh, join the numbers. Join the dotted numbers there with the lines. And then if you complete the picture to our satisfaction, you will be in the running to win a pony. Well, I'm joining the dotted lines there, and I complete the picture, and it's a picture of an Indian driving a birch bark canoe. Well, it looked like a pretty good Indian, and at the bottom it said, color it in to suit your own fancy. The uh, contest will be judged on the basis of originality and neatness. Strangely enough, I've observed that this line has probably influenced more people than any single line in American literature. 
the contest will be judged on neatness, aptness of thought. And, of course, it's affected us deeply, since few of us uh, have the ability to be either neat or apt, and uh, our originality is practically nil. So I dropped out around the second round, as I have been doing ever since. Whenever there's an elimination contest, I know just about how long I'm going to last. I am not a stayer. I'm a quick, a pretty good dash man, but when it comes to the long runs, the long shots, there's always little short guys with cigars overtaking me and moving steadily ahead amid a cloud of dust. The stayers, of course. <laughs> uh, the race does not ever go to the swift, as a matter of fact, nor to the original, nor to the apt, nor even to the neat. It just goes to the guys who can run a good long distance and keep their knees loose all the while and have the ability to kick up the dust. And so, like all of the men in this great thriving metropolis in the 20th century, I have millions of little things tucked away in my psyche as to where you get the best corned beef or where you get the only place in town where you can get a real schooner of root beer that has a head on it, a head that stands by itself that you can spoon out, you know, like Dad's old-fashioned root beer, Dad's old... This guy's... Excuse me, I have a tendency to break into old native folk songs. Uh, you know how it is. I'm one of the natives. What do you expect? You come from miles around to hear the natives, you're going to hear the natives. Dad's old-fashioned root beer. Dad's old... Fa Atlas Prager. Got it. Atlas Prager. Get it. Atlas is the best beer in town. That's right. That's another beer. That's another world. It means nothing to you. I will award the brass baby with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me where they sell Duquesne beer, known popularly to the natives as Duke. Atlas Prager. Got it. Atlas Prager. Got it. As Foxhead Deluxe, all the native folk songs which have soaked right down into the marrow of my bones. And as you know, the, the dog lovers have observed that the reason dogs eat bones is because they love marrow. Uh, this, of course, is the, is the story, the sermon total of the sucking of the marrow out of each one of us throughout existence. And so today I am approaching, I'm approaching my, my shoeshine man. My shoeshine man operates his stand at the corner of 41st and 6th Avenue. And he, I, I have seen him grow from a small orange crate. Till now, he's a man with two high seats, with the whole thing. You know, the thing you put your foot on? He's even got a little awning over there, a little glass partition, and he's got a radio that plays WMCA perpetually, night and day, even when they're off the air. Nothing but the hit parade. And he's got a look in his eye, the only shine man I have found in this town who has the look in his eye of, how shall I say it? Hardly any man goes to a shoeshine place to get his shoeshine without that little instant. It's a split second after the shine is done. And the man straightens up. His back has been bent now for 22 years, you know, over old clods. And when you look at a man's shoe, let me tell you, when you looked at, at 10,000 pairs of shoes, you know something about mankind. And what you know ain't good. Let me tell you. Ho, 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 ho. And so, of course, these people all have the look in the eye, and there's a terrible feeling. Americans are not people who take to servility well, either on the side of, uh, of the master or on the side of the... You know what I mean? And so there is something awful about Chinese... I don't know what it is, and it isn't nothing, there's nothing awful about China. There's a funny feeling immediately after it's over, you know. So it's a terrible thing. And so you, you, you get that odd feeling and you give the guy that you never know whether you've tipped him right or anything and you go scurrying away as fast as you can and you make the quick turn and then you, you, you look down at your shoes for another half block and then by the third block you've forgotten it but boy that 
that one little instant there, that, that millisecond, is sheer Hades. There's another word for it. Uh, but I, I'm, I, I'm going to this guy because he doesn't have that look in the eye. He's a great shoeshine man, and he's a magnificently painstaking craftsman. He shines a shoe so that the shoe stands tall. By George, when he finishes a shoe, that shoe stands there, and it's a shoe. Huh? A shoe. Not a lump of stuff, you know. He, I've seen this guy polish tennis shoes until they glisten. The whole works, you know. He believes in it. And when he straightens up, he looks you right in the eye. You look him right in the eye, you're two men, and you're meeting on a, on a very equal basis. You got the business, I take care of your business. That's all there is to it, and he does it magnificently. And he has a superb sense of humor. He, he says, ah, oh, these Dodger fans bunk. Talk. He told me who was going to win the election six months before the election was... He, he knew. He says, I can tell by the kind of shoes that are coming around. I've been shining shoes, he said, since 1923. I can tell which way elections are going by whether the heels are run over. He says, it's going to be a Democrat all the way. Put the smart money is on it. And, of course, I placed this in the same category as woolly caterpillars, you know. And, and the predictions of big winners or little winners. I said, oh, come on, the run over. He said, yeah, watch. Wait and see. You'll see. And then a couple of days before the World Series, he says, Pittsburgh's going to take it. I said, how can you tell? Shoelaces are busted. I says, yeah. He says, yep, tell it every time. Bad year for the Yankees, shoelace bust. Just like he says, I'll never forget... And he went on to tell me about the terrible disaster that happened to them against the Cubs one year. And so this went on like this. And, I, and we, we have a report. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. He knows me not. I know him not. Except that there's a kind of mutual thing there, you see. His wife is in showbiz. He tells me, ah, oh, those showbiz people. Come home. He says, I, I, I don't showbiz. I used to, he said, I used to be a fighter. I tell you about that. Show, talk about showbiz. And he goes on, and then he just stops. Looks out over the, over the park there towards the, towards the library. Says, you know, I wonder how a guy gets to be a bum. <laughs> and then we look out over the street here today, and they've torn out big holes in 41st Street. I said, they're tearing out 41st Street. You know, you make the talk. You're tear, tearing up 41st Street again. He says, well, people got to have something to do. I says, yeah. He says, yep. He says, they'll tear it up again in July. I can tell by the suede shoes that are coming in. Every year, big suede shoes, 41st Street, dead. I said, yeah, I can tell. Well, I'm walking up to him today, see, and I see that he is up sitting on the chair now, and a guy is shining his shoes. Well, now, I've always wondered who cuts Barbara's hair and who, who fixes dentist's teeth and all, you know, the little trivial things. So I, I come up there, and there's this guy shining shining his shoes like mad. He's the fir- By the way, he's the first shoe shine man I ever saw whose shoes are always shined. You, know, you never see this. So he's shining the guy's shoes. He's sitting up there wearing his ball cap. And I come up and he says, you're going to have to wait and get my shoes shined. I said, yeah, I see. He says, I'll be through. How you doing, Charlie? And Charlie looks up and says, okay. He's shining away. And pretty soon Charlie finishes and he walks. He, he gets up. My friend gets up. And he picks up the rag and takes the can of polish. And he says, so long, Charlie. Charlie says, okay, I'll see you anytime. I said, well, don't you pay me? And he says, no, he's doing a guest shot. I says, this is a guest shot this guy's doing? He's a guest. He says, yeah, he runs a stand over on 8th Avenue. He's just doing a guest shot here. I'll do a guest shot down there tomorrow morning. Like on TV, he says. Uh, he's doing a guest shot. I said, oh, I see. And so I get up on the throne there, and he begins to work on my shoes. 
he's doing a guest shot. And, that, and suddenly there is this, this thing comes out before my eyes. I said to him, uh, he's doing a guest shot. Uh, do you ever do, re- do, you, do you, who, who do you think, I mean, when, when you're not here, when that space that you're occupying, do you think somebody fills it? I mean, is there a guest shot for all of us? Or are we all guests, permanent guests on a vast TV show? Nah. See, I'm being metaphysical. I mean, like on a big TV show, we're all permanent guests, and we're trying to figure out who the MC is. He says, nah. I said, it's a big TV show. Don't you get it? You know, like the Jack Parr show or something like that. He says, nah. Long pause. He's whipping away with a rag. He says, it's not a TV show like the Parr show. I said, all right, what is it? It's a minstrel show. He says, it's a rotten old show. I said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? It's swinging. He says, yeah, oh, yeah, everybody's got a lot of jokes. He says, the audience is, is dead on his duff, though. Sitting out there. We're going away there. And finally, he finishes my left shoe. He says, now the right one. I said, okay. And then the guys arrive with the air hammers. Place is going like that. He turns around and he says, hey, Fred. And one of the guys working the air hammer turns around and says, what do you want? He says, what time are you guys coming over tomorrow morning? Oh, about nine o'clock. He goes like that. So then he looks up at me and says, I guess I'll do my guest shot tomorrow on 8th Avenue in the morning. He's shouting over the air hammer. He knows the air hammer guys. These are the underground people. They all know each other. Guys that operate air hammers, you know, and all these people. All, have you ever noticed all those guys carrying big baskets and bundles out of trucks back? They all know each other. It's an underground network. All these people, they really do. They all know each other. And have you ever felt like, wouldn't it be great to be accepted by those guys? You know, these big, tough guys are throwing big things. And you always feel like kind of like a sissy or a lout or something. You're walking between them. These guys are carrying barrels and baskets and kegs and big chunks of iron. Boom, boom. It goes on the truck. And, and they're waiting for you to walk past wearing your patent leather pumps. <laughs> and it's an underground network, you see, and you always feel that as soon as you get past them, they're they're saying wild things about you in the in the truck, in the truck body. God, look at you! Did you see the coat on that one? <laughs> Here goes Patrick. Oh, Patrick! Boom! On the truck again it goes. It's an underground network, and my friend, the shoe shine guy, is I uh, I guess now from what I have observed, I've been watching him carefully. He is a key figure in that underground network. It swirls around him. He is like the stationary figure around which all these underground people in New York revolve. Truck drivers make that stop. Maybe they make the scene once every three days, you see. One day I'm there in a truck, so he's coming up. This is, this is how much they really understand their world. Speaking of, of the underground, this is WORAM and FM New York. Uh, speaking of their world, I, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm getting my shoes shined, see. And it's a, it's a pastoral afternoon. The birds are twittering, nice, warm. And suddenly this panel truck comes up. And it stops. A guy gets out. And my shoeshine guy looks over at the truck, see? And the two of them say nothing. The guy's carrying... I, th- I figure they don't even know each other. You know, just the, the, the nameless people in New York carry stuff back and forth. And my friend is fixing with the shoes and stuff. This goes on for maybe five minutes. And suddenly he turns to this guy and says, Hey, Howard. And Howard turns to him and says, Yeah. says, Did you ever get the valves ground? He says, Yeah, yeah, listen. He gets in and kicks over the truck. And my shoe shine man says, They sound better. <laughs> His tappets were giving him trouble. 
and away he goes. He knows whether the guy's valves are ground. In the truck, I felt like a rotten outsider. You know, terrible. Here I'm saying, oh, it looks like a good year for the Yankees, you know. <laughs> I'm going to make it with the talk, you know. <laughs> oh, nice day, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of the new administration? And, and this is just nothing talk. These people are talking about real things. You know, real things. And so a guy walks past the other day, and he's carrying a baby. He's carrying a baby. He's seeing the kid is hanging out. It sounds like I get my shoes shined all the time, twice the week. Twice the week. If you don't believe so, ask Mr. Leader here at WOR, who has written three memos on it already yet, this year alone, since the first of the year. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, and they're going past. This guy's got this little kid, and the kid is yelling. <laughs> and my friend is going with the shoes. And, and these two people come, the man and the kid come past. He says, hey, hi. Hello, Chuck. And Chuck doesn't say anything. The kid's yelling. And then finally Chuck takes a cigar out of his mouth, parks the kid for a minute on the street, just flat, right down on its duff, just flat like kids hollering. He says, hey, I'm, I'm working over at the corner of 7th and 34th now, you know, in the warehouse there. You got a flower warehouse there. Hey, guys, that's good, that's fine. And he picks up the kid and goes, just like that. And then he turns up, looks right at me, see, he's letting me in on a little bit of the lore, see. He looks at me and he says, uh, great guy. You know, he's one of the one of the best loved guys. He says, this guy, everybody loves him. Well, I, I, I immediately loved him. I don't know why. He's puffing away the cigar, and the kid's yelling. He sits him down on his duff. I mean, he and the kid were really together, you know. Pump, puts him right on the duff. The kid hollers. And when, the, when, he, when he gets through talking to my shoeshine man, he grabs the kid up again, throws him on the shoulder. The kid, you, can, you, see, you can see the kid has had trouble with his oatmeal four times on his shoulder already. He doesn't care, you know. Either does the kid. So... I mean, they're really, really together. So he says, you know, he says, he says, you know, this guy has worked in at least 45 places. I know he never lasts more than three days, but everybody likes him so much they hire him all the time. And he hates the work. He says two days later, he walks out and gets another job. He likes to change. His job is changing jobs. I said, oh, yeah. Okay. And I could hear the kid yelling and hollering. They go in the cafeteria. I don't know what they had in the cafeteria down the street. Some unimaginable dish. <laughs> And so I begin to realize there's an underground network, a real underground network. And, and, and most of us are out. I mean, most of us are out. And you have a deep feeling that, like cockroaches, these are the people that are going to be left. I mean, thank heavens for the race, <laughs> is all I got to say. You know? These guys that carry things and push... And by the way, this is no sentimental hymn of praise to the, to the, to the humble peon, you know. Not a bit of it. Oh, no. This is no... This is no word of, of carved ivory dedicated to the noble savage. No. They're neither noble nor savage. It's just an underground network. And you, once in a while you hear them talking. You see them sitting, squatting on their haunches next to those little carts, you know, that they push things on. Squatting down there. And they, they look at you passing. You might as well be in the, in the Patagonian jungles. The natives watch. You know, they watch you go past. <laughs> Play holler. The, the, the whole crew of night elevator operators, little short, stubbly men, the guys you see in, in Bickford's eating the, eating the oatmeal at 4 o'clock in the morning, this whole underground network, and they all know each other. If we were lucky, one day they would come and overthrow the whole shooting match of us. A whole crowd of us. Of course, there'd never be any shoes shine. But it I think these people would insist that there were shoes shine somehow, someplace. You know, one night I dreamed that I entered a huge underground temple. 
with high arched vaults and completely filled with some sort of subterranean steady light? <laughs> you can't push that sort of thing aside. And in the very center of the temple sat an imposing woman in a green flowing garment. <laughs> her head supported on her hand, she seemed absorbed in deep thought. I realized at once that this woman was nature herself. And my soul was pierced by an instantaneous shudder of reverent fear. I approached the woman as she sat, and having bowed to her respectfully, I exclaimed, Oh, our universal mother, what are thy meditations? Art thou pondering the future destinies of mankind? Of how he may achieve the greatest possible completion and happiness? The woman slowly turned upon me. Her dark, menacing eyes. Her lips moved, and a loud voice resounded like the sound of clanking iron. I am thinking of how to give greater strength to the muscles of a flea's leg so that it may more easily escape from its enemies. The equilibrium of assault and defense has been disturbed. It must be restored. What? I stammered in reply. Is, is that indeed the subject of thy meditations? But, but are not we the race of men, thy favorite children? The woman slightly knitted her brows. All creatures are my children, she uttered, and I care for them all equally and destroy them all equally. But, 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 but goodness, reason, justice, I stammered again. Those are human words, resounded the iron voice. I, I know neither good nor evil. Reason is not law to me. What is justice? I give thee life, and I shall take it away from thee and give it to others, to worms or men. It is all one in my sight. Thou, in the meantime, protect thyself and do not hinder me. I, 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 I was about to protest, but, but around me the earth began to groan with a hollow sound and to tremble. And with that I awoke. Follies visited upon thy each and every generation, each and every jot, each and every tittle of you. Oh, and the leaves shall fall in the long autumn of eternity. This will hold them for a while. This will hold them. Come on now, all together. Keep your knees loose. It's time for the march. Oh! 
light up a Winston cigarette to discover the truth of that simple phrase, it's what's up front that counts. Up front, ahead of Winston's pure white filter, you get exclusive filter blend, tobacco's specially chosen for filter smoking. Remember, flavorful smoking begins up front with filter blend. Filter blend means flavor. Filter blend means Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Next time you light up a cigarette, light up a Winston. There, I, I thought that would hold you for a while. Speaking of holding you, like we have often pointed out, one of the people who pick up the check on this nightly fiasco are the people down at Praxis. The people who dispense with the hamburger that sports a college education. Now, I'm quite sure that many of you resent that. Look around you if you're in the junior class. <laughs> You'll see plenty of material there. <laughs> and how, how high is the fat content of that hamburger next to you in Biology 303? Particularly between the oral oracles, huh? <laughs> the skull, daddy. 17.7% <laughs> butter fat. All the way, and it floats. Prexies, if you're scouting around looking for a hamburger that stands up and says, ah! <laughs> the first hamburger in town that fights back. I would suggest, no, seriously, fights back. Yeah, people often accuse me of having total recall. This is not true. I can't remember anything past 1956. Well, I can remember a little bit of 55. Uh, the, the thing is, actually, that I don't have total recall... Most people have total forgetfulness. And so anyone that can remember last week somehow is a miracle of memory. And in addition to that, is 150 years old. Oh, Prexies. And we'd like to point out that Prexies is having a big opening day ceremony. They're opening a new Prexies down on 6th Avenue, uh, right around the corner from 8th Street. Uh, right across there, you know, right next door to the paper book gallery, right in the heart of the swinging, sweaty village. And if you've been looking for some calories, we would suggest that Saturday, sometime during the day... Now, I'm serious. I'm leveling with you. If you've ever had Prexy's soft ice cream, you know, it's, it's magnificent, really. This is real ice cream. This is not frozen custard or anything like that. They turn out a soft ice cream that will make your... your make your, your, your... You know, it works. Don't look like that. Don't look dumb. You have to fill in a few of the blanks yourself. This is soft ice cream, Dad. It really swings. I mean, you know, <laughs> it says it. But, you know, I'll tell you a very funny thing off the record about this soft ice cream. I, I have these friends, and they're, they're people who have really made it, sadly enough. But they're not used to having made it. You know what I mean? They still don't believe it. Because every couple of days, uh, the guy in the couple, his mother calls up and says, when are you going to get a job? And, and is it, you know, it's terrible to explain it. And here they live fancy place, you know, doorman and all that stuff. And his wife is a soft ice cream addict. She's out of her mind. She's insane about it. And the husband is a Sardi's addict. And he's always embarrassed. So there's about five people, very important people, you know. And, 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 and by the way, she's made it too. She's an excellent performer. But she has, somehow, it hasn't rubbed off on her. So they're standing around and... Somebody says, well, where are we going to go? Someone's singing, Sardi's East. Someone says, uh, 
Let's go down to 21. How about 21? Hi, hi, cab, cab. And the chick hollers, how about let's get in some soft ice cream at Prexy's? My friend has had a slapper across the mouth four times in the last month alone. Very embarrassing to him. And so she sneaks out at night. She's a secret soft ice cream addict. She's hooked. You know, like a sherry stunning collapse. It was terrible stuff. <laughs> and I would suggest that if you want to try it this Saturday, drop into the new Prexy's, only the new one, on 6th Avenue, right next to the paper book gallery, on, right at the corner of 8th Street. You can't miss it. And the flags and the whole jazz, you know. 8th and 6th, right there. And about it's about, oh, a couple of doors south of 8th Street. 8th Street on 6th Avenue on the west side next to the paper book gallery. Go in. Sit down like you're going to buy something, see? Just look like a customer. When the guy comes over, say, uh, sells here. And he will not say a word. He will turn, and he will then bring back a dish of this soft ice cream poured over a, a, a southern shortcake with a lot of strawberries over it. You know, it's a strawberry shortcake thing. You eat it, pretending like you're paying. Get up and walk out in the grand manner, free. But don't say it loudly. Please don't. They don't want to have fistfights breaking up down there. Really, do it. They're doing this. Do you know what this thing sells for? Okay. Cheapy. <laughs> the people are just full of freebies. Speaking of freebies, we have... Oh, this is going to be Saturday. And... Sometime in the afternoon, I'll take you down there in the afternoon after my show. After the Saturday show, we'll go down and knock down a couple of strawberry shortcakes with soft ice cream. It's a funny thing. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I used to go into the Prexies uh, over there on 59th Street, right off of Central Park, Central Park South there, you know. And it used to tee me off because they got these pictures on the wall. And every time anything has to do with college in this country, they immediately put a picture of Princeton on the wall. I have never once seen a picture of Rose Polytech ever on the wall of any place. Even on, in the eatery on the campus of Rose Polytech, they got a picture of Princeton. They call it the campus hangout. You know, they got a picture of Princeton. They got a picture of Dartmouth. Rose Polytech, no. Indiana, have you ever seen a picture of Indiana? You any place? No, you won't. Dartmouth, yes. Williams, yes, no. Indiana, no. And so I'm sitting there one night, and, and I'm looking there's in the, you know, all the fancy colleges up there in Prexies. And I turned to the guy and I said, how about Ball State teachers? He says, you get out and don't come back. I don't like that kind of language here. So I left. I didn't even pay my bill. They don't know I'm the one. So stand up and be kind of pull your stomach in, that's it, and sing it out. Uh, speaking of singing it out, we also have with us uh, the Village Voice. Speaking of freebies, clinging like a barnacle to the ship of life, the Village Voice, eking out a bare, meager existence with its tiny band of militant readers. If you don't know anything about the Village Voice, you should know about it. And as a matter of fact, now we could go. They've just won. They've just won another contest. Another prize has been given, and uh, they were just voted the best weekly tabloid in the state of New York. And there are plenty of them in this state. The number one, and they've won this prize several times. And this is a very official thing. All the newspapers in the state compete for this. And uh, the high standard of excellence, which the Village Voice has set, has not only been kind of going up, but their standards are much higher today than they were just a year ago. Very interesting paper, and in a few months, 
I will announce when it's happening. A collection of Village Voice pieces are being released by a publisher here in Manhattan. It's one of the very few newspapers I've seen in a long time that in just four or five years has compiled such a literary record that they're being put between hard covers. Uh, people like Norman Mailer, oh, all sorts of important people have written for The Voice in the past four or five years, and I, I can hardly wait for this anthology to be put out. By the way, I have five pieces uh, in it myself. I'm very proud of that. I used to do a great deal of writing for The Voice, and I hope that within the next couple of months I can get back to it. Uh, I'm going to do everything I can to do it. However, if you would like to subscribe to this paper, which I think is a is a four dollars worth that uh, that you'll rarely touch. Uh, give them a call now. No matter where you are, you can be located in Greenland. No matter where. You, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you. Gee, I wish we could do it earlier. We can't do it tonight. But uh, no matter where you are, give the Village Voice a call. They're on duty right now. The freebie editor is standing by. Oh, incidentally, you know what they're going to do? Pretty soon, the Voice is going to bring out an issue devoted, one issue devoted to all the things you can snag for nothing here in New York City. The freebie issue. Now, seriously. Uh, they, they have scouts all over looking for places where you can get free soda water, you know, that comes out like in Hector's, free mustard, piccalilli, free archer, all this sort of thing. And, and this, this uh, you know, I mean, after all, I think most of us measure life by how much we can get away with, frankly. Sadly enough. It's that kind of a, you know, it's a giant bowling game where if you can kick over the seven pin with your heel, if you can do something with the pin boy down there so that he makes sure that, you know, time tied in the affairs. But give him a call. It's at Watkins 4, 4669 in New York. Uh, and reverse the charges, by the way. No matter where you are, reverse the charges, and they'll put you on the list. And for the next year, you'll get Jules Pfeiffer every week. You get Bill Manville. You get all kinds of interesting people, and probably every third or fourth week you'll be mad. You know, it, it, I, I think people are at their healthiest when they're angry. I really do, and I think one of the what was wasn't it Socrates? Yes, who uh, defined the role of the gadfly, the gadfly role in civilization. It is as necessary, the gadfly is as necessary as the rock bound. You know, I have come to a conclusion. Oh, the number is Watkins 44669. You know, speaking of the gadfly, I have come to the conclusion, after watching many executives at work, that there are basically two types of executives in American business. And I, I presume this is the world over. It doesn't make American nothing. The only reason I say American is because I'm an American and know more about America than any other country. I have come to the conclusion that uh, there are two kinds of executives. There's the one sort of executive whose only talent, and it might be a very wildly creative one, is in creating reasons for why new things can't be done. For, for why some guy's immediate reaction is to immediately catalog 5,000 reasons why certain things cannot be done. Now, there is another kind of executive who is extremely rare, by the way. This is the kind of executive whose first reaction when a new idea is given to him, if he likes the idea, who immediately reacts in such a way as to how can we get around all the ridiculous things that would ordinarily prevent us from doing these, this thing. These are very different types. And incidentally, they, they are almost impossible to detect because they often look exactly alike. 
It is only after watching a man work for five years do you realize what school he belongs to. So don't believe in what they say. Many guys says, now look, Charlie, one thing I want is new ideas. I want blah, blah, blah. And he goes on like this for two years. And then at the end of two years, he says, however, uh, because of so-and-so, usually other reasons beyond his control, we won't be able to do this. Now, now many a guy, many a guy's total function in an organization is the function of creative obstructionism. This is a, this is a, uh, yeah, uh, really. Uh, this is a this is a kind of and by the way there are whole political parties based on this and, and obstructionism as a way of life you see and, and as a as a forward looking policy then it gets to be a very interesting thing uh, there's such a thing as uh, uh, positive obstructionism <laughs> and it gets pretty wild you see and, and so you see there are two types of executives and they they work and here is I think one of the most one of the most interesting of all aspects of this type of of, uh, well, the two executives, the two types, they do not ever exist together. It is impossible for the two of them to exist together. They cannot. Uh, a, a, a man who is a, a doer, and, I, and I don't, don't think this is a Norman Vincent Peale speech like Mr. Doer and Mr. Non-Doer. Incidentally, I would like to point out that the man whose chief function is total obstructionism often talks, he has slogans all over his walls that say things like, uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Uh, think. Uh, all sorts of things like, uh, the forward progressive man is the man who gets the first worm. That's what I think. Because he's always assuring himself that he is this thing. And, and he has to constantly reiterate it to himself. And then if you look at his record, you'll see that, that, they, that the best things they ever say about Charlie, boy, Char Charlie sure saved us from that terrible disaster in, in, uh, in 43. Do you remember when we were all going to make the plastic widgets and Charlie said no and the plastic widget market just blew up next week? In other words, his achievement is a totally negative one. And it, it, it is a positive achievement, I suppose, if you look at a negative achievement as a positive act or a positive effect. It's very complicated. Now, these two guys never exist together. It's like oil and water. They may seem to, because the two types are often on the surface, well, never on the surface easily detected, because every man likes to believe that he is one who sees that things are done. Every man likes to believe it, so they all make the same noises. It is, in the end, only when you judge the final, and it sometimes takes years, the final record. Pretty interesting thing to see. And so I, I've come to the conclusion that the guys who are, who are the first type, the, the guys who are, who are the great believers in this fantastic kind of, of forward, fast-moving, progressive obstructionism, whatever it is that they call it, are secretly ghost believers. They believe in ghosts. And if it was another time, they would, real, they would believe in real ghosts, you know. They, they, would, they would be the first, really, they would be the first crowd to get the torches out. I mean, ghosts, witches, dark, evil spirits that lurk on the other side of the haystack. Uh, these are the things that they really believe in. And sometimes it takes a tremendous circumlocution of the mind, a, a, a tremendous creative drive to arrive at the final decision that there's a ghost in the barn. That's what caused, that's what caused Fred's foot to hurt. And everyone says, what do you mean? He kicked the, he kicked the door jam there. Yes, he the door jam, sure. But you walked past that door jam five times in the last half. You didn't kick it. Why did Fred kick it? I ask you that. Answer me that. 
Well, Fred's a fool. Fred fumbled. Oh, now, wait a minute. I've seen Fred go a whole day without kicking that door jam. Why did he do it? I'll tell you. Did you hear that funny noise in the barn two weeks ago? <laughs> Not going to say anything. Just keep it in mind. Ooh. You hear the shutters banging, and the next thing you know, you're believing in ghosts. A and the whole TV radio industry is ghost-ridden. Millions of ghosts they believe in. Terrible things that happen if you say terrible things on the... Even if you say non-existent... You, you hear the ghosts out there in the darkness? And it's a very interesting thing to observe. The ghost believers. And, and, and incidentally, I've I found that a man who does not believe in ghosts can't even sit across the table from a guy who does. The, the, the minute somebody says... Like one day I was listening to... I think it was Martha Dean... And she had some actress who was noted to be a, a deep thinker, uh, or at least was given credit for being a deep thinker, see? And they were talking away with all the deep think sounds, you know? And the, the right concern for the right issues, and they're going along there. And all of a sudden, this woman says, in the middle of the discussion, Why, of course, uh, uh, you mean to tell me you don't believe in ghosts? Why, I'll tell you, I was talking to Lord Potterby the other day. Of course, I was visiting at his estate in Lancashire, and, and uh, Lord Parby and I both agreed that it's certainly odd that many people who are otherwise intelligent people do not understand nor realize the actual existence of the little people. Well, there was a long pregnant pause, and, uh, and uh, kind of a clearing of the throat, and Martha Dean went on. And, and, and these, little, these little insight moments that you hear on the air, the other day, Martha Dean did a beautiful one. She was interviewing a doctor who was talking about hepatitis. And uh, she was saying, how is it spread? And so he starts to tell her how it is spread. One of the ways it's spread is through tattooing. <laughs> and Martha Dean, without batting an eye, says, well, we, we're not particularly interested in that. We'll leave that problem to the psychiatrist. Uh, and now uh, let's get... <laughs> the people who want to get tattooed. <laughs> I might as well admit, though... When I was nine years old, I had a secret desire to have an anchor or something tattooed on me. And I used to draw things on the back of my hand in ink. You know, I had a tattoo, you know, put on there. And one time I go down to the candy store and I buy this cockamamie, you know, this little decal that you paste on there, and it was Yellowstone National Park. Put it on there, and there was the wonders of Yellowstone National Park in three colors. And I came home, and I'm sitting there, and I wash my hands very carefully before supper, all the way around this little square. See, I, I, you, you can't... You can't wash Yellowstone National Park, you know. So I'm washing around the square, and and, and I come there, come to sit down to supper, and I'm eating away. And my mother says, "Wash your hands." I says, "I washed my hands." What do you mean? She says, "Wash your hands." I says, "I've washed my hands." She says, "Old Faithful is dirty." <laughs> and there was Old Faithful sticking up there, and there was a big glob of Indiana mud clinging. To so I, of course, you know, time tide and the affairs of not always undo you. Now, I, I hope you're working on your positive, absolute genius for total forgetfulness. Uh, don't, don't remember anything, really. It makes it so much easier to swing. It makes it a lot harder to think. But, uh, after all, who wants to think, really? I mean, you know, I mean, if you fill in all the little squares there, I'll tell you what you do. Start at one and then run the line down to two. Hey, hey, you got it there? No, you, you draw a little line with your pencil from two to three. See? <laughs> That's being sharp, see? It's the... Oh, wait a minute. Now, now draw one there from three to four. <laughs> uh, did I tell you about the time I found this, this magazine called Spicy Whoopie? Uh, it was a 
Wild magazine. Of course, I was right in the middle of my little orphan Annie phase, and I'm walking along the alley, and I find this magazine called Spicy Whoopie. Well, I mean, Spicy Whoopie. And uh, it was the first magazine called Spicy Whoopie that I ever encountered that had a crossword puzzle. It's the wildest crossword puzzle you ever saw. Nothing but four-letter words. <laughs> well, of course, you know, when you live in the backyard, you walk up and down the alley, you pick up quite an education. And I was a crossword puzzle fan. So I filled it out. Three days later, my mother found that crossword puzzle all filled out under my bed. Well, uh, you take, now join the line from five to six. She said, where did you learn these words? I said, from Dad. She said, what? She said, you get in there and wash your mouth out now with palm olive and be quick about it. <laughs> it's funny, I had a molar filled with palm olive all the way up until my 18th year. It was a temporary filling, though. 